everybody, and welcome to Enjoy the View. I'm Tessa, and today on our panel, we have Ari Clark. Hello. Guest panelist, David Ash. Hello. And our special guest for this episode is Jenny Lee. Jenny, would you like to introduce yourself? Hey, everyone. I'm Jenny. Yeah, nice to meet you all. I'm currently working as an engineer at Google, and I'm on a job hunt. Nice. How's that been going? It's been pretty interesting. I mean, I recently did, I guess, a retrospective on like my previous job hunts. So this is going to be my third job in tech. It's been pretty different, I guess. Well, one thing is that we're living in Corona times. So there's some things out of that. But it's also been interesting just as someone who's like more mid-level rather than a junior dev now looking. Has it been maddening in any way? Maddening? <laughs> well, I think it's been going pretty well, though. One thing I have been focusing a lot more on during the search is culture fit or like team fit. I really want to know who exactly I'll be working with. That really determines your experience on a job, your managers or direct teammates. But you don't get to meet these people until the very end. So this this is kind of my biggest frustration is uh, you have to wait until the onsite or even after the onsite to talk to those people. Or quote unquote onsite. Yeah. So they still call them onsites, but like virtual onsites. I mean, Zoom is a site, right? It's a website. <laughs> <laughs> is looking for like a team fit something that was important to you from your first job search on? Or can you talk a bit about how what you look for in a job has evolved over time? Yeah, sure. So definitely when I first got out, so I went to a coding bootcamp called Full Stack. And when I first got out, my main priority was finding a stable company that seemed like it would be a great place for junior engineers to be mentored at. So I didn't think that much about team fit beyond having senior engineers who could really lead the team and also give me advice, help me grow. And I think the perspective's a little bit more, a little different now. I really want to find some place where I can be t friends with my coworkers, maybe grab lunch with them, have interesting conversations, feel free to talk about things that are not code related as well. So that's definitely been more of a priority now. I can relate to that, except my criteria for my first job, because I also went to a coding boot camp, was a place that would hire me. That was really all <laughs> I was looking for. <laughs> that is a key element. Yeah. No, I, I was not going to be able to pay rent pretty soon. I was running out of relatives to ask for money. So <laughs> I took the first offer I got. <laughs> I was a little picky. Oh, really? Yeah. First offer I got, they offered me a number and I was like, how about that number times 1.2? And they were like, no. And so I said, <laughs> I'll take it because it's all I had. <laughs> yeah. I can relate. I, yeah. I did manage to go to negotiate slightly higher on my first job, but it was still less than I was worth. I made a lot of mistakes with that first job. <laughs> I'm curious what, you know, number job you all are at now. You're not at those jobs currently anymore, it sounds like. I'm at five. No, I just started a new job. So I'm week two at job number two. Oh, wow. Has it been going well? Yes. I, like Jenny was much more concerned with culture fit this time around. And so far, I feel that I did well on that front. I really like my teammates so far. It's a much smaller team, which honestly, I prefer that, you know, a little more intimate setting. You can be a little more friendly because it's, you know, you get to know the people a little better. So yeah, so far, I think I chose well. Yeah, I've worked at three different places after my internship, but I feel like at the first two places, I had manager changes and a team change. So it kind of feels like I've been on five or so teams, even though it's only been three places. I'm curious to hear more about this, like making friends at work or a place where people can be friends with their coworkers, because I'm kind of ambivalent about it. So I'd like to hear what everybody's thoughts are. Well, one thing I definitely found is so... And my last two positions, I've been focusing more on ML or AI, like tool sets. So a lot of, you know, the bootcamp training is really around like full stack web development, but I haven't worked on web development really. I've worked more on back endy or servicey type places 
And one thing I definitely found is a lot of people on the team already relate to each other on the team. They have very similar backgrounds. Maybe they all went to CS programs or it's always been the case that I'm the only woman on the team. I think that's something I'm growing a little bit tired of now at this point after three years. And a different thing is I have a lot of other like passions or interests outside of coding. I feel like it's really dampening my energy when I'm spending a lot of work time with folks who maybe, maybe in their free time, what they're doing is coding, which I struggle to relate to on a personal level. Yeah, I hate coding in my spare time. Any waking moment I have that's not at work, I'm spending it on algorithms because that's where my true passion lies. (laughs) Says the girl who is like constantly preparing for some talk, just saying Tessa. (laughs) Hashtag not like other girls. (laughs) I can definitely relate to the, you know, being the only uh, woman on your team because, yeah, for over three years, I was the only woman. And it was the same team and they had gone on a hiring spree and somehow I was still the only woman on the team. I am now actually on a team that with the addition of me is majority female and it is incredible. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so dreams do come true. <laughs> <laughs> That's really crazy. I feel like I can only dream like... <laughs> Yeah, no, that like, I was like, oh, it would be cool if like, there was just like one other woman. And okay, to be fair, in this case, there's two others, because like I said, it's a small team. (laughs) But there's only two men. So I make three women. So thus majority. I feel like it's balanced. When the team is smaller, it's even easier to make rationalizations about why there aren't more like, diverse people on the team so that it's small and is majority women is pretty big accomplishment I feel like yeah no yeah definitely yeah I feel like for me it's such a crazy change maybe like people who've you know they graduated from a CS program or like go straight into work they might not realize this but um when I worked in my past life I worked in psychology research and I worked in immigrant organizing and those places were always majority women and actually in immigrant organizing like it was we never had majority men in our leadership. It was just the way that things turned out. I like the people who are very passionate or interested. So it was such a like complete temperature switch. I don't know. It was very shocking. <laughs> I hope this isn't changing the subject too soon, but I'm interested, Jenny, like how much success you've had on your job search, like trying to get to know people and like, have you tried asking for certain things so you don't just meet people like in the final round and then it's like quick and then they're making you an offer. Like, Have you found any ways to sort of get a pulse on what the culture is like there? I think it's it's pretty difficult. I think it divides into like two types of questions. Like one questions are very like one type is like very straight up questions for HR or a hiring manager about like, you know, what are the initiatives you take in? You know, are there any like are there metrics that you're tracking and like that sort of line of questioning? And then the other the other thing has really been around like trying to get additional meetings or it's more casual multiple teammates on a call maybe to see how right. they interact with each other but yeah it's really hard to get that info up front and still looking for good ways yeah sometimes i feel like that's almost frowned upon in the job search is like can i just talk to people who work there but like that's <laughs> super valuable information right and I, I can kind of see why maybe some companies wouldn't want that out there because well not with that guy i mean <laughs> But yeah, I think that's generally a pretty good idea, though. I wonder if there's HR reasons some larger companies would be afraid of that, but it sounds like a pretty good idea to me. Yeah, and the larger the company gets, especially in engineering, it seems like there's a general bar they want you to pass. So the on-site interview will be explicitly with people who you'll not work with. They're from all across the company, which is great. I always found, yeah. <laughs> I always found a bit. Yeah, counterintuitive. <laughs> I think at Amazon in particular, they have this role that they call the bar raiser. And so I guess the idea there is that you always have to, I don't know how this works, but somehow you have to be better than everybody they hired before you. And so the bar raiser what? is in charge of like somehow figuring out whether when you come in, you're like raising, I guess, all the boats in the tide that is Amazon employees. Ah, uh, yes. Infinite growth. It is so possible. I'm not gonna lie, I have never wanted to interview with 
anything company. I just have zero interest in it whatsoever. But that's personal preference, you know? It's a good thing that there's a wide variety of companies because some people, that's all they want to do is work for a large corporation. I'm not one of those people. And thank goodness for startups, though those come with their own interesting problems. (laughs) Yeah. Chris, one of our other panelists, would sometimes talk about the legitimacy that programs like the Google Developer Experts or similar ones that other tech companies lends to people in like more marginalized groups in tech. So I do feel like that is another like positive for people who like I do know people who don't necessarily want to work in Fang, but they do just so they can be treated like they belong. And that's also like a real consideration. Yeah, definitely. It's like a pretty like good gold star, I guess, that you add to your resume. But I'm really glad you all have you know, these perspectives, because a lot of the conversations I've had recently are people have a lot of questions, you know, like, why are you leaving Google? You know, are you going to Facebook next? I mean, this is the kind of framework that a lot of people have when thinking about engineering jobs and like monoculture. (laughs) Well, actually, that's a great question. Why are you leaving Google? (laughs) You don't have to answer that. For me, I think it really boils down to the culture fit. I mean, I made a decision to leave my previous company because I wanted to be in a community of engineers, have the opportunity to mentor and be mentored. And I foolishly thought that, you know, if you go to a larger company with many engineers, there's like more of an opportunity. But I actually found that it was really difficult to even volunteer to become a mentor in my work time. That was something I really wanted to grow in. So that was a struggle. And even of the people I spoke to, when I found people I really related to or saw myself in, it seemed like the exception to find people who were thriving in their role and really felt like they're getting their fullest or like getting the job satisfaction that they wanted. So that was, I guess, my motivation for leaving. Yeah, I think it's interesting. You know, a lot of people talk about how in tech you jump jobs for the larger salary. But I I don't feel like people talk enough about, you know, switching jobs for personal growth. You know, I felt like I had sort of maxed out what I could learn in a healthy manner (laughs) at my last job. (laughs) I mean, sure, it was going to really refine my stress tolerance and not going off on people to put it nicely. Sure, it was going to test that, but I would rather, it's not really a skill set that I'm interested in developing further. I feel like where it is now is uh, a good place for anyone to have it, but I feel like people don't really talk that much about other reasons for switching jobs because, you know, the tech culture is very greedy. (laughs) I wanted something different. I unfortunately didn't get like all of my checklist checked off in this job because One thing I've always wanted was to work with a more senior front-end engineer, which I have yet to do in my in my career, which is a weird failing. Some people are just too senior. Whatever. (laughs) I yeah, so I got promoted to senior after 15 months in my career, and I never felt like I deserved it. And so I'm actually very glad I no longer have senior in front of my title. (laughs) <laughs> it's it's a lot less pressure, just like being a regular engineer. Jenny, I was wondering if you could talk a bit more about why mentorship is so important to you. Like, what do you get out of it? And what do you think that potential mentees or mentors get out of it? Yeah, I think so. When you're in engineering, or I guess like any career, I guess you have to like keep up with, you know, industry trends and like how like very company specific things you have to learn or like libraries that are going to be phased out, all this kind of stuff. But a lot of the people relationship or those like soft skills or things that you're going to apply like for the rest of your life, really in effect, like all sorts of interactions. They're not just for your current work setting. So I've always been super interested in developing mentoring skills, which I think fall into that category where it's, it's going to be a benefit to your career and to the company, but also to yourself And I think one of my weak points has always been like explaining technical system design choices or things like this to others, helping them learn. I guess that teaching aspect. Yeah, but it's also something that I really want to work on. I hope that answers the question. Yeah, definitely. So I'm curious if others on the panel feel like their past roles have like strengthened 
their ability to navigate the corporate atmosphere, like having worked in such an environment prior to being an engineer, if that makes sense. In my past life, in my past past life, let's go with that. I was a mechanical engineering intern at a Fortune 500 company. Learned some valuable lessons about what you shouldn't say in a company-wide meeting. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I was actually blackballed from the automotive industry after that, but. <laughs> that must have been one spicy take. It was. I suggested that they improve their intern program to attract better and brighter talent, but they took it as an attack, I guess. <laughs> Uh, or at least HR did. The engineers, like I had so many engineers coming up to me after that saying that was awesome. But yeah, HR had very different thoughts and I ended up getting let go for chronic tardiness, quote unquote. But that, yeah, that's neither here nor there. It definitely helped me learn how to work in cross-disciplinary areas, which as a software engineer, you're often having to gather information from sales and other stakeholders so that helped. And then after that, in my next life, uh, I worked retail, <laughs> which oh, is dear. just a really great exercise in patience and listening. Speaking half jokingly for a moment, I almost feel like in this one specific context, retail might actually be simpler because, uh, you know, you only have to deal with the customer <laughs> once and then they're gone. Okay. But if you work at a, say an independent quilt shop, you get a lot of repeat customers. Yeah. <laughs> what are independent quilt shop customers like? old <laughs> but generally very sweet though occasionally you'd get a karen <laughs> it was a creative space a lot of people would come in and ask for help like picking fabrics and things like that so that that also sort of helped me learn how to problem solve from other people's perspective which as a front end engineer i feel like that's a big part of what you're doing on a daily basis is figuring out creative solutions to how other people want to see the world Oh my gosh, yes. I had so many customers who asked me, like, what should I buy for a Shiva? And I didn't know what to buy for a Shiva, and they didn't know what to buy for a Shiva, which is, I believe, some kind of Jewish funeral, right? So I learned a bit about Shivas, but also before I had time to go and look it up, still, like, I couldn't just leave, you know? So there was some creative problem solving there and UX research with air quotes. <laughs> I mean, I've worked retail before and I wouldn't wish that on anyone, man. Although it's probably a good life experience, just like being a waiter. I honestly miss it, but they don't get enough pay and they don't get enough like health or other kinds of considerations. Yeah, $11 an hour does not go very far. Mm -mm. Yeah, no. I also worked at a, a Carvel ice cream for five years. Oh my God, how was that? It was great. I mean, did you I get free like ice cream? Satisfaction is, exactly. I, w I ate ice cream every day. So. <laughs> Did you have really strong arms? Because I don't think I could scoop ice cream. Oh, wait, it's soft serve. Well, it's all in the back. You know, when you're scooping ice cream, you kind of like pull with your whole body. So, you know, you can spare your arms. But yeah, that was like super satisfying. You just like, you have a to-do list. I mean, you can get through it like pretty easily. You don't have to like think about like, you know, step one, step two, step three. Everything was pretty straightforward. Ice cream debt that builds up over time <laughs> that you have to pay off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what I learned from physical therapy as well. I was like, it hurts when I sit and I code. And they were like, it's all in your back. You got to work out your back. And I was like, dang. There's this like fringe, but maybe not nonsense theory about back pain that like a huge percentage of back pain is actually psychosomatic. And there's this like shunned expert who basically. A shunned expert. I hope to be one of those someday. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's basically, I forget the guy's name. I only looked at this briefly on Wikipedia, but he basically says like going to therapy is how you solve your back pain for a lot of people. And it actually has a much higher success rate than placebo, even though a lot of orthopedists swear he's a quack. There's actual research that shows it might not be nonsense. It just came to mind. I'm full of really fun stories. I totally, I have heard that. And I also don't remember the name of that guy. David, you used to work in finance, right? Mm-hmm. Do you feel like that like background? It, right? <laughs> do you feel like that has lent itself to your career in development? I'm so glad you asked that question. I think a core skill with technology is to be able to know what bullshit is. <laughs> I learned a lot of bullshit in finance that I believed at first and then realized, oh, that's the bullshit part. 
Yeah. Finance isn't all bad, but it certainly has a pretty hefty dark side. I mean, I was in like personal finance and like retirement planning, not like trading, but I did go through 2008. So that was interesting. Having to call people and tell them, well, I was lucky enough that I never had anyone in crazy stuff, but never had to make a call like, yeah, you know that 50,000 in bonds you bought, they're worth zero now. I never had to make that call, thank goodness. But I did have to talk people from selling when they'd already seen their portfolios plummet and taking the loss, which turned out to be the right advice because there's a big comeback. But um, yeah, I think the big thing about technology is to not believe all the hype. I'm thinking again of these people. Like I actually code a lot outside of work, Jenny, but like I wouldn't expect anyone else to care about that. Like if you can't talk about things other than algorithms, ugh. like, yeah, you need to have things you can talk like. I bake bread sometimes. I have a cat. Like I can try to have things going on in my life other than what I'm coding, but I forgot where the hell I was going with this. Yeah, I I think a big part of tech is to just realize that hot take, I think the term software engineer is nonsense. Like I wouldn't take that term very seriously. I don't think we're engineers. Like the there's all sorts of actual credentials and like safety standards and ethical standards real engineers have to don't get me wrong there's problems with real engineers too but i just think the whole software engineer senior software engineer is basically something about controlling labor i think maybe that's a conspiracy theory but i think we should all just be software developers and stop playing title comparison i think it's nonsense see what happens when you call on me Yeah, I think, and somebody brought this up during your talk too, like a big thing that I was researching when I first started in my career in tech was like, what is the difference between developers and engineers in the US at least? Because like in other places, for example, Canada, engineer is a protected term. And there was some bridge that collapsed and a bunch of people died in that catastrophe. And so like every engineer gets a ring that's made out of the melted steel from that bridge so that they can like look at it as a visual reminder of like, Like real talk, when there's a cyber attack, like, shouldn't we have a ring for when people's data gets leaked? I mean, I don't know what that (laughs) would it be. A fake social security number tattoo? Like, this is the leaks SSN right here. It's on the dark web. I think it should be copper wire with a tiny piece of PCB soldered to it. Or a VR headset that's no longer of any use because the industry collapsed. Oh, oh sorry. Too soon. Too soon. <laughs> so yeah, in the U.S. at least, the primary difference seems to be just salary. I don't think it's necessarily causal, but maybe just correlational. Like, I mean, you could areas. make an argument that there is some difference between call it, like what you do is engineering than development. But I think it's mostly semantic. Certainly when you I see this a salary gap between people just based on title, that goes to show you that it's something else is going on there, right? Yeah, I call myself an engineer just because I feel much cooler and I feel like less of a failure for dropping out of engineering in college. So that way, you know, I eventually made it without the degree. (laughs) So, okay, Jenny, crazy question. Maybe one way you find out who you don't want to work with is by going in and pretending to be a tech bro. Just be like, guys, do you want to go to an (laughs) algorithm off after this? And if they say yes, don't work there. Ah, I was trying to remember what point I wanted to jump off in your previous answer. And now I remember, I thought it was hilarious that your like diversified hobbies are having a cat and baking bread, because I feel like the (laughs) acceptable hobbies for developers are having a cat, baking bread, and climbing. You got me. Monoculture. Oh, my goodness. Oh, man. (laughs) I don't climb. I don't climb. I'm actually a rock climber. And like, it's unbelievable. Sometimes you see folks who are on call between climbs come down and they're on their MacBooks <laughs> and they have to going away and then they bring up a Linux up box. <laughs> Being on call sounds so stressful to me. So what I'm hearing is that between Jenny and I, there is one tech bro. But their powers combined, yes. Wait, but you forgot lifting. <laughs> <laughs> Look, there's a pull-up bar behind Jenny. There we go. Lifting. <laughs> Yeah, I feel well, like lifting has largely been replaced by doing algorithms and then like planking at stand up. <laughs> Is this something you can do? Planking at stand up. I can't even. All right, we're talking about tech pro stereotypes. Doing Brazilian jiu jitsu. Is that becoming a thing? Or doing martial arts? I mean, there's Code Wars, right? And on Code Wars, I'm like right. for kata or whatever it is. Oh, I- in the valley, I think there's a group of guys who like do martial arts too. 
and it's like with the guys they develop with. I don't know. Maybe I'm just stretching here. But I am curious to hear more about like the the things that when you're applying to a job, you're like, okay, I've seen this thing before and I know this is not a good sign. Like the red flags that people accumulate for themselves over time and experience. What are people's like absolute no's or like a more data required because this is extremely sus to me kind of points? We want you to work on a metrics dashboard. Wait, isn't that all web dev jobs? Okay, I'm offended by that (laughs) because my current job is in healthcare analytics. So yes, there is a metrics dashboard. (laughs) I actually like, I secretly like metrics dashboards. It's just that I've seen some metrics dashboards that don't need to exist. I'll just leave it at that. That's fair. I think a, a big warning flag is we're a family here. Ooh, yes, that's what I I was reminded of with the Mm -hmm. friends convo. Because it's like, if you just naturally become friends with your coworkers, like, I'm okay with that. But when the company feels like they're constantly pushing, let's all get along, then I'm a little bit like, hmm. No one leaves the family. This is, like, pretty useful to hear. Because I've actually never, like, worked at a small company. Even my, like, first job, it was at a large, like, tech team was, like, 30 engineers. 20 to 30 engineers but it was actually like company that was under the umbrella of like the largest marketing firm in the u.s or something like this but, like i think there's a lot of like startup isms that i'm i don't really know how to interpret you guys should clue me in is there anything else beyond we're a family i think we all know the word rock star is a big red flag <laughs> You would hope we all know the word rock star is a big red flag, but recently I have learned. Well, inevitably they're going to come up with clever euphemisms or synonyms for rock star, like ninja. That's another good one. Ten Xer. Oh, oh no, nine, no. Nine, nine to niner. Uh, uh, yeah, I would say some startup things to look out for and good questions to ask around that is. There's two of them I've heard. What does a typical weekend look like for your developers? And how, yeah, and also how responsive are people on Slack or whatever communication tool they use after 6 p.m.? Oh yeah, that's yeah. definitely on my list. Yeah, and when they're like, "Oh, we usually don't, we usually don't have to work after 6 p.m.," that means they do it all the time. Yeah. If they're honest about the fact that, yes, there are times like, you know, like week-long pushes where they are working, you know, later, I generally take them at face value on that because otherwise you just say, no, um, everyone here has a very balanced life. Right. <laughs> as long as you don't have any kids. I think also a point of nuance there is like, does it seem like they're like, yes, there are times where things don't go well, but we try to make it better the next time or not is another key point. Because if it's like, yeah, we run into this problem every once in a while, but since it's only every once in a while, it's okay. Yeah. You know, what's been really interesting in some of my interviews is when I talk to the hiring manager and then I talk to people who are on that manager's team and I get completely like two completely different (laughs) views on what's happening in the team. I ask the manager, you know, is there shared ownership? Like if someone's behind on their tickets, does someone pick them up? He's like, absolutely. We pair program. Then I talk to devs. I ask them the same question. They're like, no, everyone does their own thing. You yeah. know? And uh, I'm going to go ahead and say that's a red flag. <laughs> that's probably not Co-sign. a good sign. <laughs> it's amazing. Like their manager has this very rosy vision and it's like so completely different. So off. <laughs> yeah, no, I once heard, I think it was actually on soft skills engineering podcast that I think it was Dave Smith said he always asks the same question of like everyone he meets with on the engineering team. And it's how do you know what you're supposed to be working on every day? And depending on the consistency of answers across Mm -hmm. the team, it can tell you a lot about how organized they are, whether somebody's lying (laughs) about how organized they are. And also, you know, kind of it will help you gauge whether or not you have the tolerance for whatever level of organization they have. Because some people do better with extremely structured environments. Other people do better with less structure. And that's a great way to figure out if that's going to be a problem. Yeah, that's a really good question. Another one that I kind of stumbled on by accident is if you ask about 
diversity during the interview process, then you may find out what the company's stance is on whether they consider that like bringing gender or race into issues. And I'm like, I don't really know how I'm like, they just, they're always there. Yeah. So that was an interesting one for me. Yeah. Actually, I always ask about diversity and inclusion. And what I love most is when I don't have to ask about it and like in their pitch, it just comes up and I'm like, okay, winner. Mm. How about revenue model? Like, because if you're a startup that's on a runway and we're burning cash, like employees burning out, that's better than going out of business, right? Or if you're a giant corporation, you know, the revenue model is this giant thing that can't change quickly, right? So not to make everything about money, but like people are very influenced by money incentives, right? So if you have positive money incentives where it's really just the customers funding things, I would tend to think you'd get better cultures. Just throwing it out there, but maybe a study would show me it's more nuanced than that. But yeah, I mean, like you think you look at a bootstrap company that actually generates cash flow and doesn't owe a VC anything, they're, I would think, in a much better position to really take care of their people. Whereas when you have a runway, no matter what you say, you're always going to say your people will come first. But when the company literally is on life or death, like you're going to burn whatever bridge you have to to survive, right? I think related to money, I don't really have any good questions or points to recommend, but something that I've been reflecting on recently is I feel like I've, I guess maybe one good thing to delve into during interview processes is how does the manager help their direct reports grow or what does that look like for them? Because I feel like there are, I don't know if it's more in startups than other places, but there are a lot of managers who I think believe that their responsibility is to make sure that the company is making a profit. Like if they focus on company profit and developer output, that's what's going to make the company successful rather than focusing on the developers themselves. Like that will naturally lead to a more successful company. And like my personal view on that is just like the company is already doing all that work. We don't need more people to like shoulder that burden. So yeah, I don't know if anybody has any thoughts on that, but that's just something I've been thinking about lately is like, that's probably something that I would look for if I were if I were job hunting today. Is that related to like the idea of cost center? Like at Facebook, developers directly make them revenue, right? In a very direct way. Whereas like at a major corporation that now is acting like a tech company, IT is still this big cost. And they don't see a direct revenue from the efforts of their developers. Is that kind of the the model you're pointing at? That like what is the capitalistic revenue benefit of a developer like do we make money by letting them do what they do best or we make money by they do what we tell them to do something like that that's a good question like i think it's very vague or very broad i guess like initially i was thinking more about how a manager might see their direct reports value as shipping tickets but then like even within that that's so broad like that could mean do you only care about new features and not about maintenance or like bugs or tech debt? Or like, does that imply that there's something with the processes that don't naturally allow, or I guess, encourage more tech debt to arise? But also in terms of just like career growth, like how do you think your developers get stronger? Is it just by working on tickets for the company, for example? Like, do they just get stronger naturally by doing something that directly benefits the company in terms of like this model of shipping tickets is like the only way forward? Yeah, totally, Tessa. I think like, the engineering manager role, it's so different depending on what company I've talked to. I've talked to like maybe 10 to 15 companies in the last couple of months. And sometimes, you know, they take on completely just people management role. And then some people have more of like, they're also the tech lead or they also architect stuff and make a lot of design choices. And then even among the people who are just people managing, sometimes, you know, they're managing us as resources, as like engineering resources that they can like put in different positions. And then other times it's more like, I'm cultivating a person, you know, I want to help them grow. The perspectives can be like so different depending on where you're looking. I want to work where I manage like an asset. <laughs> right. I literally feel like, you know, I'm a CPU and I'm being put to use right. on like some efficient problem. <laughs> Good job, worker node. I thought it was worker Dino nowadays. Oh, TypeScript. Sometimes, Tessa, I just can't even with your puns. (laughs) So, Jenny, do you want to talk a little bit more about going back to the point you brought up earlier, where when you're talking to people about your next job hunt, they're like, why would you ever leave Google? Like, 
Has it been hard either when trying to discuss your job hunt with others just to get some like feedback on that? Or even when you're applying to jobs and you're like, yeah, I'm looking to leave Google. How has that been? No, I don't think, I mean, recruiters always ask like, why are you leaving? And I give them a generic response and they're very happy with it as long as it's some kind of narrative, you know, I'm looking to grow. I'm looking to take on more leadership. So that's like, a, if they don't complain, it's cool. Is that basically the screen? If they say, I don't like my job, then it's like too much trouble. Is that what they're looking for, you think? <laughs> I'm not sure. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell them. What is them the point of that question? Though. Maybe just to check that you're a sane person. You don't say something like, right. I want to make 50000 more dollars. That's why I'm changing jobs. Like, that's not what, something you would say to a recruiter. If you go to a realtor, they're not like, well, why do you want to buy a house? What's wrong with your last one? <laughs> what did you do to your last house? That's a good point. I never thought about it from that perspective before. I know. Like, I just answer the question without even really thinking about what the motivation is. Mm-hmm. And I think I always answer it entirely too honestly. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's been a struggle for me. I definitely am looking for different narratives to like put out there for the recruiter instead of like giving them my life story. <laughs> Well, what's your ideal narrative or like, how did you decide now is the right time to leave? Oh, for me? Mm-hmm. I've been looking to leave for a while. And uh, one of the things I've been looking into was internal transfers. One of the great things about like, you know, massive corporation is like they can stick you in a different team and it'll be an entirely different experience. One of the things I looked into was they have a Google.org fellowship where this is really cool. You get to work with a nonprofit and they get the services pro bono, but you make the same salary. For half a year, you just like devote engineering resources to someplace that doesn't have that kind of engineering department. I didn't find a good team fit there. And then from then, I thought, well, from then I reflected a bit more on, you know, why I originally come to Google, which was, you know, the mentorship aspect and like growing technically in technical depth. So at that point, I decided it'd be better to cut losses now instead of hanging on. When you leave a cult, isn't the first thing they say, why would you want to leave? I'm not trying to bully in any one particular tech culture. I do feel like corporate culture, I don't know. The bigger the company that gets, the more you almost have people saying, like like you're saying, Tessa, well, I know the company wants us to think this. But like everyone kind of does because it's your culture. It's kind of like when you're a fish in a fishbowl, you don't know what water is anymore. Yeah, I guess I can't really speak to that because if I think of all the places they've worked, they've all been pretty small. Although I think the first place wasn't really very much like we all have to think the same thing. Like actually, even when I reflect back on it now, I don't know how they created this kind of hodgepodge of people with random, really deep hobbies and different interests who were all very opinionated and not shy to share them, but not in a like we're all going to shout over each other and yell the loudest kind of way. And I do miss that. But yeah, I guess to answer my own question to Jenny, which was not post, I didn't post it to myself. <laughs> <laughs> the fishbowl is a pretty good metaphor because I feel like when I feel like I'm too big a fish, it's time to find a new bowl. Wait, I wanted to comment on something you said before, Tessa, which was like, you know, like interrupting or yelling or shouting. And like, that's one of the things that I found myself doing a bit more is like interrupting people to get a word in or like maybe like expressing annoyance like during meetings. And then I looked back at it and I was like, can't believe I'm acting like this in a meeting and it's like maybe acceptable or maybe it's like on the border of like being okay because other people also do this and that was definitely kind of like wow I can't believe I've that's really thought-provoking like, like when you find yourself getting like aggressive to be heard is that a good thing or a bad thing I mean yeah, probably, right? I mean I would think some animation shows engagement but then if your meetings are a battle to see who can be heard, that doesn't sound. I feel like Google also had like a, a starring role in that book, Radical Candor, which like my impression, oh, I'm still speaking in the chat and now I'm flashing back to like someone was watching the debates last night while I was doing some homework and I was just listening to, oh my God, anyway. <laughs> that was the reference. <laughs> oh my God, so stressful. Yeah, uh, Radical Candor, my impression of the book was basically like just you know, be tough enough to say whatever you want, which I don't think is necessarily the fairest shake of the book, but that's what I was getting from it. 
And I've been thinking about this recently because I feel like a lot of people I follow on Twitter are kind of proposing that debate doesn't have to be the default way to have discourse. And it's intriguing to me both because they don't suggest what they would do instead, which like I would be very curious to hear more about. But also I'm realizing how much of tech culture does seem to be it kind of necessitates or like there's this inbuilt belief system almost I feel like where everything has to be like a fight and the best ideas win but and sometimes maybe it's not noticeable but I think the more noticeable it is it's like sorry I'm not being very coherent like it's not necessarily just an individual problem right because an individual debating could be good depending on the context but a lot of times the context maybe it's a situation where everybody doesn't feel comfortable debating or there are people who just in general their go-to approach wouldn't be to debate but they don't feel that they can voice it and like for some people it's okay if they debate where other people if they debate it will like reflect on them poorly as like a performance problem or an attitude problem or ideally in a product focused organization you know you wouldn't be about who debates the best or gets their opinion or like the effects like how you serve the customer or achieve the goal should be as important or more important than whether you made a good point in a meeting right Yeah. Oh my gosh. When decisions are made by votes, I get so stressed out. I'm like, why are we just picking the most popular idea? And how did we decide that that was the most popular idea? Yeah, I don't really have an answer. I just, I think it's interesting that you're noticing that because I was thinking about it a lot too. Oh yeah, definitely. And I guess maybe like the reasoning behind it is like, you know, if you're so confident about or passionate about it, like you would interrupt or like make sure it's being heard. But yeah, I do think it's kind of a cultural thing where you should make space for people and make sure they get a chance to get their bit in, maybe if for whatever reason they haven't spoken up yet. I mean, there's so many people who have nothing to say in meetings, right? I mean, I don't know what your meeting experience is, but most meetings I've been to, most people don't talk unless they're really prodded to talk because most meetings are kind of a waste of time. But (laughs) I think that's a different problem, yeah. (laughs) Every company I've ever worked at, the meetings are... That's corporate meeting culture. That's an entirely different topic. But yeah, I mean, having to press people to talk seems more like the default from my experience. That's interesting. Yeah, Jenny, before we close, I was wondering if you could share, because I feel like you are very deliberate and thoughtful about your career growth and job searches from the first one to this third one. What lessons you've learned either through experience or through other people and what Maybe also to contrast with that, some advice you got or things that you started out thinking were helpful or effective, but now you have changed your mind. I think one thing someone told me is, you know, keep interviewing, like interview once a quarter to keep your skills sharp. And I haven't done that. I don't think it's helpful. and I don't think it's meaningful to do such a thing. I think, you know, as you grow, like, you know, you grow your network, you get to know more people. And like, that's the main way you get like insight into really good positions. And you don't necessarily have to interview a lot of the time. That's one thing I would say. And then the other thing is that I really learned is like, it's so helpful to talk to your teammates about like their compensation and salary and how their performance is being rated. I feel like a lot of people feel afraid maybe, or they feel like it's inappropriate to bring up this conversation. But I've definitely learned a lot just from, you know, opening the, those doors, especially if you like phrase it in a way that's like, you're just trying to learn more about them and share something about yourself. You're not trying to like crunch some numbers and like compare who's better, or like if you're getting paid enough, but if you're just more have a, I don't know, you're asking because you legitimately want to know more about them and share about yourself too. That's been super helpful for me. Nice. Yeah. I'm I'm also curious what skills that would be kept fresh by interviewing. Like, is it algorithm skills? Is it talking to people skills? Yeah, I don't know. I found like interviewing is like a really big time and energy suck. I feel like if your goal is to like learn about other companies, there's so many other ways you could do so. Like on their blog, they're like speaking to other devs in real life or I guess over Zoom nowadays. Yeah. I mean, interviews are like torture, depending <laughs> on the process in the company, right? Like, I can see sort of the case for why it's like a skill and you should keep the skill sharp, but there's got to be a psychological cost to interviewing that should be taken seriously, right? At the very least, it should be seen like exercise and you need recovery time. Does anybody else want to share any last tips? Don't do take-home exams. They're a joke. Unfortunately, junior developers aren't in a position to say no to that, but anyone who is, I think we'd all do ourselves a position by saying no. If you really want to review my code, I'll try to make a PR into an open source project or something. Like, I'm not going to do 
four hours of work for every single company. I think it's absurd that that's even normalized. Yeah, I prefer like in person so that the company is also investing the same amount of time. Yeah, if they're not paying uh, someone to sit with me, maybe they don't care. Also, I can see how they communicate, but I know for some people, it's like less nerve wracking to have a take home and be able to do it on their own time. So wouldn't be nice if there was like a standardized test everyone could do. So it's like, I'm just going to do the standard take home test. So you have a code sample and they don't have to do it. I mean, I get the case that some people are more comfortable that way and I wouldn't want to take that away from them, but making it a standard for people to blow four hours of their life times 10 companies irks me. Dave stops talking now. Somebody also suggested certifications, but acknowledge that those are also rife with issues. Yeah, I'm going to give a very specific example from my last job search. So I actually, I shouldn't say this because they don't sponsor us. In their <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I actually found my job through Hired.com. I, just, mm. I thought I'd give it a, yeah, I know. I was actually surprised it worked. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> I know. So on Hired, you have the option to do some tests to get badges, like general software engineering practices. And then I did a specific front end one. Dude, the algorithm one. You get three chances. I finally got it on the third chance. <laughs> front end one, yeah. I got the first time. But yeah, it, even though like that with the badges, I still had to do a three-hour coding test. And fortunately, in that particular case, they were very explicit that it needed to be a time period where someone would be available to me the entire time in case I had questions. So it was somewhere in between a take-home. And yeah, it was one of the worst experiences of my life. I'm not sure I... Okay, there have been very few times in my career where I felt so horrible about myself. That's awful. Yeah, it really was. But somehow that ended up being a good thing because I felt the need to do like a, a mini retrospective for myself. And they actually told me that the fact that I did that was one of the, the reasons that they wanted to hire me. It's because huh. they valued, yeah, they valued the culture of introspection and learning from your mistakes. So I honestly thought it was game over after that, <laughs> after that challenge because like I just, uh, I felt like I bombed it completely, but apparently not. So I don't know that there's a better way except there, for, yeah, a universal take home. That sounds really, really stressful, but I like the idea of like a retrospective for yourself. And that ties in nicely with my tip, which is a lot of times when we talk about negotiation, I forgot the acronym, but there's an acronym for like the lowest offer you're willing to take of like the total package. But generally when we're talking about that, we're talking about like salary, benefits, uh, vacation days. And I can't really say I've tried this from experience because it's never something I've personally codified. It's just something I've been thinking about lately. But I feel like it could be a useful exercise to make one like that for non-tangibles as well. I was just going to say when Ari was talking about getting badges, made me think of Girl Scout badges. And like, is there a best s'more badge? And also, after you got the badges, they still made you do a take-home? That pisses me off, but yeah, got me started. That was, Why have the badges if you're still going to put people through these hoops? God! But I mean, like, that's one of those things where it's, it's up to each individual company what they do for the interview process. But one nice thing was that I got to specify my salary up front, and any company that was willing right. to pay that got to come to me. I that's did right. actually flat-out turn down one company because of the product. I was like, no, that's just not for me. It was... A diet tracking app. Uh, And I'm sure they're lovely people, but they're, I'm not outdoorsy. And these were clearly outdoorsy people. (laughs) So it's a metrics dashboard for your body. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And on that note, Jenny, where can people find you on the internet? Oh, that's a hard question. Well, I don't know where people can find me on the internet. They can email me. And I have... A LinkedIn profile, but I don't have much of an online presence. Cool. Well, if you want to share them, we can put the links in the show notes, but absolutely no pressure to share them. Yeah, I can add this. Okay. So we'll put Jenny's contact links in the show notes. Let's move on to this week's picks. Ari, would you like to go first? Sure. I have one pick this week, and it actually comes as a result of having to set up a new dev environment. You know, resetting up an editor is always so much fun, but this time I ended up 
Yeah. <laughs> it ended up being good because I found a VS Code extension that I was unaware of called Vuex Suggest. I don't know. Some people may have never experienced this, but for me, if I'm using like map actions and I'm mapping them as an array of strings, it drives me nuts that when I go to use that action, it's not in autocomplete. This fixes that problem because I'm so lazy and I also make lots of typos. Autocomplete is life. So Vuex Suggest will make sure that you have autocompletion for method names imported as strings. Nice. Yeah, I think that'll save a lot of people time. How about you, David? What are your picks for us this week? I've got one pick for you this week. It's a Netflix documentary. Uh-oh. My Octopus Teacher. Oh, that was not what, what I was it? expecting at all. <laughs> Octopus Teacher? What? It's a very strange title. My Octopus Teacher. Okay. I rarely cry during movies. I got very sniffly during this one. Very sniffly. <laughs> sniffly. <laughs> I bawled like a wild animal during E.T. because I saw it when I was a kid and then I saw it again and it just unlocked some innocent part of my child brain. Haven't really cried it. Maybe get sniffly. But yeah, this was a great movie and it really makes me never want to eat octopus again. It's a really well done documentary. It's awesome. So is the octopus the teacher or is the teacher teaching about well, octopus Tessa, or do I'm we have re- to watch it to find out? I'm going to repeat the title to you. <laughs> My octopus teacher. Okay. That can be parsed <laughs> in so many ways, David. <laughs> You'll just have to watch to find out. If anybody is listening and you've watched it, please let us know at Gloomy Loomy which way to read the title. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jenny, do you have any picks for us this week? So I have some job hunt related picks, I guess, which are two sites I've been looking at a lot, using a lot, which are Pramps and Key Values, which are both pretty well-known popular sites. Key Values is amazing, yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, Key Values was also one of my picks. So I guess this is what it's like to be in Ben's shoes without the fame and success. (laughs) It was only a matter of time, Tessa. (laughs) Also, one of the managers at my place recommended this site to me called Merit. I haven't tried it yet, but it's a site where I think you can get a mentor or be a mentor in tech and you sign up for or people sign up for like 30 minute slots to talk with you about some topic. And they also have different categories. Like, are you looking for career coaching? Are you looking for coding help? So that seems potentially interesting. And also Sailor HG on Twitter recently released this thing that I was reminded of by Ari's pick, which is Computer Cuter. And it's basically like a collection of coding themes and fonts and other ways that you can style your desktop environments to be cuter. And one of my picks actually made it on there, which was nice. But Dank Mono is also on there. So there's that. I Shut guess up. I, I, I like would it. like that. <laughs> and... On that note, that's all for this week's episode. Thanks for listening, and until next time, enjoy the view.